Hi there, I'm Jonathan Platt, and this is Direct Line, the absolute best podcast in the Baylor family. As we're getting ready to face a brand new year, there's a question on my mind. How do you make change happen? It's something I've asked myself again and again, and I'm sure, I really am sure, it's a question you're familiar with yourself. Leading can be hard, especially when we're faced with obstacles and uncertainty. And 2020 has been full of those. But fear not, I promise, it's possible to see your dreams become a reality. In this episode, I'm discussing how to take on ambitious goals inside of complex organizations, how you can stay the course when the going gets tough, and why it is so incredibly important for you to stay committed to those big, audacious goals, even in a year of abnormal uncertainty. And our guide this week is Dr. Brooke Blevins. Dr. Brooke Blevins is the Conwell G. Strickland Endowed Chair, Associate Professor, and Chair of the Department of Curriculum and Instruction. She teaches both undergraduate and graduate courses in secondary education, social studies education, and multicultural education. During her time at Baylor, Dr. Blevins has been instrumental in the development of the I Engage Summer Civics Institute and the Baylor Women's Colloquium, which has affected change across the university through signature achievements such as the parental leave policy, the revival of the women's and gender studies minor, and the spousal hiring policy. In response to her rigorous leadership, teaching, and researching work, Dr. Blevins was named one of the Greater Waco Chamber of Commerce 40 Under 40 in 2020. I'm so excited for you to hear this. Here's my conversation with the outstanding and inspiring Dr. Brooke Blevins. Dr. Brooke Blevins, how are you? I'm doing great. That's how are you? Good. I am. I'm hanging in there. It's <laughs> it's a fun time to be alive. Um, the uh, the first thing I love to do is let each guest have a chance to do their spiel. Um, and just say, what is your favorite thing to talk about you about and leave the rest out? Just whatever you want to tell us. Wow. I don't very often get to do the spiel where, where I have free for all. Um, well, I'll say that probably um, what defines me most is that I'm a mom of three kids and uh, my kids are 11, eight and four and a half. I've been married for uh, 17 years and have um, really come to uh, to my own because of being a mom and a wife. And that's that's helped shape who I am and how I view the world. Uh, so that's a really important part of who I am. But what I also um, love about my life is the role that I play at Baylor and the place that this is and the opportunities I've had to um, both teach and research here and lead in an academic way. Um, and to network and to have fantastic colleagues. So that's definitely something that I think would uh, define who I am. I, I don't have a ton of free time, but when I do, you know, I spend time like baking. That's a, that's a hobby of ours. Our kids and I like to bake a lot together. We garden and we spend a lot of time outside, which is also part of who I am. But um, in terms of my passions, I am very passionate about this idea about civic engagement and civic dialogue. How do we work with one another within our communities and listen um, and deliberate and dialogue 
to create better outcomes for our world. So that's something that's really important to me in all aspects of my life, whether that's in my home, when we're talking amongst my three kids who don't always disagree, always agree on things, in the place where I get to lead here at Baylor, when we, um, in my department, and also in the world. So how do we, and I spend a lot of time working with young people uh, and helping them understand how to engage in this kind of dialogue and deliberation so that our communities are places that thrive and where people are working together uh, to create change and to create a, a better world for those that we're leaving it to. And what is it like to be considered a 40 under 40 by the Greater Waco <laughs> Chamber of Commerce? Well, I barely made it. Let's just say that. This, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. My, uh, my, my 40th birthday happens in about seven months. So, you know, I, I did. I barely made it 40 under 40. I mean, gosh, it was what an honor. I mean, I, I, I think I look at my life and I think it's nothing spectacular. I, I love what I do. I really do. I love what I do. And I feel like that much is you know, clear, incredibly well, clear. Thanks. I mean, each day I come to work and I think, gosh, I get to do this. Not, not every day is fantastic, right? We have difficult days. Um, but sometimes I wake up and I think, how did I, how did I get this gig? How do I get to do what I do? So I think being yeah. a 40 under 40, you think like, I've just lived my life. I've just done the things that I needed to do. I've just, uh, I, I always say like, you know, you just take the next right step, a door opens and, uh, I have a tendency to sort of just like walk through them until one shuts and, and oftentimes they do shut and, and yeah. you just say, okay, well, let's, let's try the next one. So I think it was, it was a pretty big honor. I was nominated actually by a faculty member who is in my department and what, that meant more probably than like yeah. even being selected that a faculty member would say, Hey Brooke, we think like, you know, this is something that you're worthy of. So that was, that was really exciting and, yeah. and fun to see like who, what the lineup was and to learn more about this, um, this kind of honor and, and what it's meant to do. So yeah. Yeah. It feels odd. I would say that it feels odd and it feels humbling and it feels, you know, I, I feel super honored by it. I, I just finished working with a faculty member who was getting ready to, um, uh, or, or I guess I was, I was working for a faculty member by uh, uh, association with another faculty member who was nominating uh, a very dear friend of mine to an award. And that friend said, it means a lot when you get tenure. It means a lot when you become a full professor. It's a totally different feeling when your colleagues say, this honor is, you know, is deserving for this person. So I can only imagine what it's like to, to be, you know, nominated by a faculty member uh, that you work with daily. That's so cool. What, yeah. um, what do you think, uh, what do you think the reasoning was on picking you as a 40 under 40? Like why if you the could chamber? Just like, yeah, yeah, like, like why like, the chamber? Oh, wow, yeah. that's a great question, man. That's like self promotion at its finest, and I'm not very good at that. Um, I would say, you know, I think uh, one, I, I think being a female is, you know, it's hard to sort of make your way. There, there, there are barriers at every turn. Um, I've been really blessed in my life that doors have been opened and people have lifted as they've climbed and that I've been the beneficiary of that. Um, I think, you know, I've had the opportunity, Baylor has afforded me the opportunity to do so many really remarkable things for somebody who's, I don't necessarily consider myself young, but I think I probably am in others' eyes. Like, um, you know, to be a chair of a department before I was 30 
that only happened because there were exceptional leaders in my life here at this institution who have helped me take on these different roles. My former chair, um, my mentor here, folks who are around the campus who have said, hey, Brooke, come along. We see these, we see these qualities in you and we want you to, to join us in this effort. So mm. I think probably the, the fact that I've, you know, maybe I hold that role as chair. I was named endowed chair of education last year as well. Um, those are all, those are all certainly titles. Um, but I think for me, I feel really fortunate that I have the opportunity to lead um, at this institution and, and to do it, you know, in the sort of prime of my career when I'm not tired, when I still have a lot of energy to do this, because it is something I'm deeply passionate about. And I care, I care immensely about the people that I lead because they're fantastic. And all yeah. they need is for somebody to clear the hurdles and uh, to help them do the good work. And I'm, I'm a really good hurdle clearer. So that's a fun, that's a fun thing to do. So maybe that's why I was a, a 40 under 40. Yeah. Um, how did you celebrate when you got it? <laughs> or, or are you like, yeah. I can, I can identify as like, you know, you celebrated by seeing the email or getting the phone call and then kind of hanging up and going right back to whatever you were doing. But did you get to celebrate? You know, not really. I think my, <laughs> my uh, I, I did. I celebrated the email and I sent it to my closest girlfriends. And I think I sent it to my parents and I was like, oh my goodness, look at this. This is amazing. This is what an honor. Why me? I think was the thing. Yeah. Uh, my husband on a regular basis though now, cause he's not under 40 any longer. He, um, you know, he's like, you know, you're a, you're a top 40 under 40, but, but just barely. And so he, he regularly reminds me of that. So when I'm, when I'm doing something that, you know, he wants to comment on, he often uses that. So maybe that's a celebrate. I mean, I think COVID land is just, it's just different. I did have an opportunity. They, they did interviews because they won't get to have the luncheon like we we typically have. And so I went down to the chamber and they asked three really pointed questions and I, it was very nerve wracking because you're like, I have a minute to sell, what does it mean to be a leader? Or what does it mean to, you know, who's inspired you? And so, uh, and then you get a little plaque, which is, you know, it's here back in my office, a beautiful glass plaque. So yeah, that's about the, all the celebration that, that I had. Yeah. How is, speaking of COVID land, how is this, we're, we're recording this in mid-November. Um, you're finishing up like your first full semester in COVID. How has that been not only as um, just a professor and a researcher, how has that been being a leader um, in your department? I talked to Dr. Mia Moody Ramirez a couple of weeks ago. And I mean, the whole entire time we talked about what it's like, you know, leading as a communicator and having to communicate. You know, it's, uh, I wrote an email yesterday to a fellow leader and I said, leading in COVID is a harrowing experience. Um, I do. I think that. I think that there's so much that I've learned about who I am and who I am as a leader in this time. And I've been stretched in ways I could have not imagined. But I've also realized like what, what is at the core of what I believe about leadership. And that is about deep care for community. So at every turn from the mm. time that this happened in March, right? And we were as a university trying to figure out what are we going to do? Are we shutting? How does that look like? And faculty are thinking, oh my goodness, what does that look like for my courses? I would, um, I spent actually a lot of time in prayer about what I was going to say that was going to both be informative to my faculty, but also encouraging um in, in, at the same time, and I would spend, I mean, I, I really, I composed these emails and I, and I spent time in prayer really thinking through what are they going to say, 
because I felt like not only did they need information, that was clear, but they needed somebody who was going to say, I know it's hard. Yeah. We're in this together and there's still hope, right? There's still hope that we're going to move forward and we're going to do that together. So I think at my core, I've realized just how important community is. I've known that it's it's been a it's been a function of of my uh, spiritual life, of understanding my faith. Um, I've seen it in those circles, but I've I've really seen it in terms of leadership. That it's it's a sad place around here now because there aren't there isn't the hallway conversations of the community. So how do you cultivate that um, in an online environment? How do you still keep people connected? Because I believe connection is hugely important to the work that we do and. And it's when we when we get disconnected that we aren't engaging in this kind of dialogue that I discussed, and we aren't working collaboratively to move projects forward and to move the vision forward. So I think for me, that's been the hardest part is figuring out ways to reinvent and really focus on this ethic of care and community in a space where I'm, I would much rather walk down the hall and chat with somebody in their office or see them and give them a hug. Yeah. Um, what yeah, are so what are some of those tactics that you're using to stay in connection with that community? Like, are y'all doing are y'all doing like Dr Pepper hours? Are y'all doing like you know? I mean, besides just Zoom meetings, which we're all so incredibly um, <laughs> used to, is probably the kind way to say it. Yeah, uh, tired of would be the yeah. real real way to say it. You know, we I try to be respectful of faculty's time, so when we do meet. Um, it is, it, oftentimes there is an information uh, portion to that when we meet as a whole faculty, but there's also a time built for community building. So when we have our monthly faculty meetings, we start off the meeting where we just literally have folks out in breakout rooms and doing what we would do in a room together where they're sharing, mm. well, what have been the highs and lows of these last month? What are you, what are you most proud of that you've done? What do you want to see uh, as you move forward? And what's like one personal thing in your life that you know, you want to share that we might share in a hallway conversation. And then of course the, the meeting does have information. So that's kind of how we do as a whole faculty yeah. still. How, how many, how many faculty members are in the uh, curriculum instruction department? We have 29 wow. um, okay. faculty members. Yeah. So, and a couple of, well, we probably, and then in addition to those 29, I've invited all of our, those are full-time faculty of our adjunct faculty or our graduate mm. student faculty into the conversation this year, because I want them to feel part of this community too. They are yeah. doing so much of the heavy work of teaching our students and they're having to manage like hybrid teaching and online teaching. And I don't want them to just be left out there and feel like they don't have support. So our meetings are often like 40, 42 people. Wow. In addition to that, um, you know, as much as people hate Zoom, I do, I do try to do these quick check-ins. Like let's have a 20 minute call and we're, we're there's no agenda let's just chat and see how you're doing yep. if people are willing to come to the office we sit at this table behind me and we have mass conversations and even then it's like it's just so good to see people's eyes um it's not the best but it's 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 still some form of of human connection that we have so sure. um i think communication is really key in this time like people need to know what's going on and yep. that level of just consistent communication and of encouragement, I think is, is essential right now. So in addition to just, you know, running a department, being a faculty member, um, you're also involved in some pretty big um, initiatives uh, like the, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell one on me right now. I, I learned how to say the word colloquium um, by yeah. reading it. And uh, so I have never actually like pronounced it out loud uh, until 
literally we started talking about you as a guest on the podcast. And then I started having to like in the mirror practice colloquium, colloquium, colloquium. <laughs> so I'm very good at it now. Uh, but I, I will say I was terrified to, to have this because I've got to ask you about the Baylor women's colloquium. What is leading in that space right now, which is, I mean, if you go to the, the website, y'all's website, I, I mean, all of the photos there are pictures of in-person meetings around a table. And now it's, I'm assuming, a lot of even more Zoom calls. What is leading in that space like? Um, and what are some of the initiatives y'all are working on, even in the midst of uncertainty, or maybe because of the uncertainty? I'm sure this has really um, like exposed some problems that we wouldn't have seen otherwise? Yeah, great question. I mean, the Women's Colloquium is, first of all, it's an amazing group of women. And we have men, though they don't come to our meetings a lot, but they're sometimes on our mailing list. Um, you know, yeah. it started when a group of us came to Baylor in um, 2011 and kind of met, became friends and quickly realized, hey, there's some conversations not happening at this institution. And you know, we'd like to see some some movement on some of these issues. And we just started gathering folks around a table, literally in the bottom of Tidwell Bible Building. We had this kind of, you know, basement meeting, if you will. And uh, that was where started my off. first class was. My, fir my first class at Baylor oh. was with Eric Holliman in B, like, 03 or something like that. It was, yeah, so... Kind of dark and dank. It will yeah. no longer look like that. Apparently, it's going to be you know something renovated and beautiful after. I know. After I this forget year. every time that Tidwell is like ground zero, and then I go to campus, you know, and walk around, and I'm like, oh my gosh, oh wait, wait, they're renovating. So that'll be cool. That's but anyways, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. So you're in the basement. Yeah. So I mean, we started meeting in the basement, and we started talking about some of these issues. I mean, one of the biggest ones was that you know, Baylor didn't have a formal maternity and paternity caregiver leave policy. And so we started working on that and with the help of some extraordinary women. So I lead with um, Natalie Carnes and Candy Can and Kristen Pond, and Megan DeLucio. Um, and then we've had allies across the university at our, uh, in terms of in the provost office. Uh, we worked with Tiffany Hogue on a lot of different initiatives when she was chief of staff to the provost. And um, and uh, Robin Driscoll and, and Lisa Turner and Lori Baker, all of these fantastic women who are exceptional leaders on campus who have been a part of our group and have been allies to help us effectuate change. And just because a group of, of concerned folks sat around a table and we do, we typically meet at lunch and we meet about three times a semester and we address issues of teaching policy and practice and uh, research, of course. So this semester, we've only actually had one meeting uh, this semester, and we did a 100-year celebration of uh, women's right to vote. So we actually had a group of women who came and each represented a, a suffragette, and they shared a bit about the, the suffragette and her story. And then we had a Q&A. And so it was really, a, it was a well-attended meeting. And the beauty of it is like people were really energized. So it wasn't one of those Zoom meetings you're like, oh, oh. Yeah. People were learning and they were making connections between these different suffragettes, some we've heard of, some who were marginalized in, in the suffrage movement. So that was a fantastic meeting led by Lisa Shaver, who um, wonderful full professor in English, uh, director of our women's and gender studies program. She did a ter terrific job arranging that. And then our, actually our next meeting will be in December and we'll be, well, actually, we, we turned our attention to focusing on self-care. Uh, mm -hmm. So that meeting is going to really, because what we know is that women have taken on a uh, significant burden during this time, homeschooling children, caring for uh, sick and elderly families and, and parents. 
Uh, we, we see the research now that if, if a family member had to choose to leave the workforce to care for their kids, that it generally was the woman, even if they had a career, particularly in COVID I'm talking about. So, so our sure, December meeting is, is going to talk about, it's going to spend some time on self-care because what we realize is people don't, they don't just come to a Zoom meeting to talk. Let's, let's actually do something that's going to be useful you know, as they move into the holiday season and they think about, okay, how do I really find respite in the midst of the chaos and going yeah. into a holiday season that's already chaotic and coming off a semester that was already chaotic is there, how do we care for ourselves? Because in order to be good for our people, for the people who, who look to us, we have to be good to ourselves. So we're going to spend some time talking about that. And I'm really, I'm really excited personally about that conversation. There is a Spanish poet, um, I cannot remember his name for the life of me, um, but I, the, whenever I feel like, oh, if I just go another hour, whenever I'm like, I'm tired, but if I can just finish this up tonight, I remember this quote that goes, um, in order for the cup to runneth over, it must first be full. And I, I love that y'all are going to spend that time on self-care, um, is, What's the audience for um, each meeting? Is it specifically around faculty, faculty and staff, graduate students? Who who gets to show up to this? You know, we originally started kind of as faculty. We've we've added staff. We've added folks who are like in executive leadership. So we don't have a lot of students who come um, unless they come with special projects. So mm. you know, we had a group of uh, so so faculty and staff who you know, are concerned about issues with gender and diversity across campus and are looking for ideas and are looking for networking um, in terms of this. So that's generally our audience. Yeah. Like did I you, said, did we, you get to work with um, Kay Miller much in the sociology department? So we, lovely human, Kay, who, who did direct the Women's and Gender Studies program mm. before her retirement. And um, I worked with her briefly, not, mm. and this was kind of right as the women's, um, colloquium was starting she would come to our initial meetings yeah. and then that's when we had the opportunity to, as she retired to re-energize that program and to um yeah. just you know to honor the the great work that she had done for years and and to build it back up and um get it spread far and away uh, across campus thanks to her there, initial there leadership is, there is something spiritual between me and Kay, and, and i mean Aww. that like truly um i took her uh, intro to sociology class uh, it's it's what fit with my schedule um and let's see i would have been second semester freshman i think it was her first full semester back after ken her husband had passed away and she talked for like 5 minutes in class just kind of introducing who she was and she was turning and we met eyes and i i mean this is when she still taught the class when it was like you know 200 students yeah. and she stopped and she just looked at me and said, I don't know who you are, but come see me after class. And I was just like, Arr. and we had this like, like truly otherworldly connection. And she became my grandmother, like on campus. Just truly one of the most amazing and inspiring women that I've gotten to meet at Baylor. And it's great that she's retired. She did way too many, like 2 a.m., uh, nights and pulling all nighters, but yeah. So, okay. So, um, you're focusing on self-care in the upcoming, uh, meeting and, uh, something that I really want to talk about with you is, uh, um, going forward, you, 
you know, you have a track record of big ambitious goals. Um, and so spending kind of closing out the year, thinking about self-care is a great way to go into another season of those big ambitious goals. When it comes to the women's colloquium, when it comes to I engage, when it comes to your own research or teaching, what are kind of those next things that you're looking at as we're closing up 2020, a, a year of just, you know, oddness, uh, and is into 2021, a year of still more uncertainty. So what am I looking forward to? What are, what are my goals? What are my big ambitious goals? Is yeah. that what you're saying? Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, you've, you know, you and the women's colloquium team, I mean, have, you know, I just, there's no other word for it. Kicked ass. <laughs> I mean, the, the, we the have. huge, the huge things and, and to read the website, it is so humble. The way it's the way it's you know the signature achievements include, and then it's just a little list, and it's like I could I could write like eight thousand words on just one of those initiatives. Um, what is the next kick-ass goal that y'all are working on? That's a great that's a great question, and thank you for saying that. I think we are humble because um, you know we created our own website fabulous Ellen Philgo in the library is the one who monitors mm, it. You know, yes. we all have a staff. We're just all working to, to do good work together. And, and that's what I would say about the women's cloak. I mean, back to my fundamental principle of the need for community and the need for um, collective action, right? That's an example of it. Like with, yeah. with one of us trying to do these kind of one-off things, it would have never kicked ass as you said. Right. But when you get a group of folks together who are really extraordinary, they can do really extraordinary things. And so we are working currently, one of our big initiatives that that has taken some while to kind of come to fruition is working on a childcare initiative. So mm. what we recognize is that childcare is a huge issue for faculty and staff. It's a huge issue for our students. We've done a number of different surveys from our student body to our uh, faculty and staff to really investigate issues around childcare. And we started this pre-COVID and what our what our ask was was we wow. need to do some investigation about childcare. Do we need something on campus? We have a childcare development center, but it's not necessarily it's not to serve faculty needs. It's a it's a research laboratory for one of our departments on campus, and it does serve a huge community need, but it's certainly not big enough to meet all of the needs on campus. There's not enough daycares in Waco. Mm -hmm. um, child, it's it's very difficult. There's so we've teamed up with. Um, uh, constituent engagement, and there's some work being done around this with the with the Baylor family, but also with the Waco community and the chamber to talk about um, how we really address issues related to childcare. We would like to see some immediate solutions here on campus for faculty and staff and our students. Um, but right now, we're we're in the kind of information gathering phase of that and trying to see what we can do. We know that part of our push to R1, that one of um, how you're going to diversify your faculty and get top research faculty is if you take childcare needs into concern, because we know women often carry the burden of that. And even, I mean, we have single dads here on campus. We have families that are non-traditional that, that, so I'm not just saying, so it's a female problem, though it is un disproportionately that way. It's a problem we should all care about. So that's sure. one thing that we are, we are moving forward on and hope to have some traction. We've yeah. teamed up with another fantastic group on campus, um, FOCA, the Faculty of Color Alliance, and we're going to do some shared work with them in the spring around um, 
increasing diversity in fields in the STEM fields and in some of the other disciplines, uh, particularly female representation and, and scholars of color. So we're really excited about these partnerships um, yeah, together. Uh, that was that was going to be one of my questions around yeah. childcare. Um, the the childcare task force is. Um, I, I'm sure you've read the research and my area of research was around critical race theory um, and as it relates to media. Um, and so, I, I mean, and I, I mean, I date uh, a, a woman with two social work degrees and one from the University of Chicago. So I'm, I'm, a, you know, I'm kind of ingrained that um, the experience of the person of color, specifically the woman of color is just vastly different Um what what are some of the areas that you're focusing this child care task force around the experience of the academic of color and more importantly, the academic woman of color? Yeah, great, great point. So so one of our first things was to gather information. We presented it in front of the faculty senate. We presented it in front of the staff council. We, we wanted to show them sort of this disproportionality of um, particularly as you're talking about recruiting faculty and staff who are diverse, both both female, but particularly you said this intersectionality of a woman of color. Um, you know, that there is there's an added layer of of difficulty that comes with living in that in that space. And it's it, it's overlooked. It's vastly yeah. overlooked what that what that looks like. I think these are all considerations that are part of our conversation. What does it look like? What are these experiences? That's part of the, the information gathering piece and getting the survey out to really assess what are the differential experiences. So, you know, for. For men, we know that oftentimes they might have the they might have a, a spouse or a partner who is is caring for the children or are taking care of, of kind of those primary home uh, experiences. That's not often even for female if they have a stay at home husband like me. Um, that's not always the case, right? Like still some of the those house duties still fall to me. Um, that that maybe they they wouldn't if the roles reversed. And we know for particularly for faculty of color coming to Baylor, this is an initiative we're working on. We're trying to diversify our faculty. It's a slow process. Yeah. And, and there's not enough representation for people to say, if I come here, am I going to find people like me that look like me? That's, a, that's an issue. So how do we create a welcoming space? And part of that is by saying, you know, we've thought about all of the needs. We've thought about mm. you need community. We've also thought about the issue of childcare is, is a big one. And yeah. these things intersect for sure. I, uh, another one, if I remember correctly, um, is around the spousal hiring policy. Yeah. And there are like, I mean, off the top of my head, I can think of like literally three um, just outstanding faculty of color at other um, institutions that have said um, with me in the room and from telling close friends, uh, I would be at Baylor tomorrow if there was a place for my spouse. And these are, um, I'm not going to give away any names so that I don't get them in trouble at their institution. But I mean, these are, these are people in their fields who are just, uh, they're the rock stars. Uh, how, how has the, and, and I know that you worked with uh, uh, the chief of staff, Robin Driscoll, on this initiative. Um, what was it like to bring that um, like from idea into actual fruition? Well, I'd be interested to know if it is an actual fruition, to be honest. I mean, really? it's certainly a conversation. Um, I think we've seen some forward movement on this. Mm. I think part of what really provided that impetus was, one, us raising it, but two, as Baylor sought to sort of move into a, a research one space, in order to be competitive, 
we ha- we have to think differently yeah. about this and we have to think about what these unique situations are because we want those rock stars and you know what i bet their spouse is a rock star too absolutely so and it's a benefit to us because in terms of retention uh, when your spouse comes and they have employment, not only is it recruitment, but then retention becomes a really yeah. important part because, you know, we are doing a better job at recruiting uh, faculty of color. But the question is, will we retain them? And mm-hmm. what are we doing in order not only to increase diversity, but to increase inclusion and equity? That's where I think we've got to spend our efforts. And so spousal hiring is a part of that. And it's a really important part. And if we were just to say, well, we don't do that because we're Baylor, right? We're going to miss out on really important opportunities. And I'm, I'm fascinated that you have these, these colleagues that are saying I would come. Like, let's solve that problem so Absolutely. that we can recruit these fantastic faculty. It doesn't cost us a lot, honestly, to hire yeah. those spouses. And the, the benefits to that, I think, would far outweigh uh, the costs. Yeah. So there are both of us having been at Baylor for a while. We know that it is um, an institution that is designed with the highest of uh, true good intentions um, of protecting itself. And sometimes that gets it in trouble. I was, I worked on the Lariat team during um, some of the sexual assault scandal um, and the fallout of that. Um, But then there are other parts where, I mean, it's good that Baylor protects itself. It's good that Baylor protects its family. Um, But oftentimes that causes, because of the just giant organization that it is, uh, and I I mean, whether it's at Baylor or it's at just another, you know, working at Oracle, working at Apple, working at something that doesn't rise to the level of a multi-billion dollar company, but is still a big place like neighborly in town. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even working at, you know, a mid-sized bank um, or sales associate, what is it, what does it take to go from that? I have a belief that something needs to happen and something needs to change. What does it take to move it through that big organization and for it to actually become uh, the change that it needs to be? Well, I mean, I'll go back to the fundamental principle of, of I think it takes collective action and community. And I mm-hmm. think it takes people who are willing to do the hard work um, and who are willing to to ask the question. You know, what I've learned over the last few years is there are things, as I became an academic leader, there are things that were assumed, right, that were sort of like lore, like this is how we do it. And yeah. that is the only way we do it. But as soon as I started asking questions like why – why do why can we only bring two candidates to campus for an on-campus interview? And I was quickly told, that's not the policy. That's people's interpretation. Yeah. And they said, well, you, why do you want to bring more? And I said, because it, it will increase the diversity of our pool if we can bring these three candidates. Okay, you got it. So when you start asking the questions and you stop, uh, stop assuming that the answer will be no, and you start pressing the issues in, in, form, in an informed manner, I think that's what creates change. And the way you know to do that, I think, is through collaboration and communication and community because I start learning about different things from other people when I start talking to them. And then I think, oh, well, that's an interesting idea. I didn't know that to be the case. Let's find out why that is the case or or is that really reality? And we start asking that question. So I would definitely say 
we can't work in silos anymore. We can't just stick to our lane. We really have to be talking interdisciplinary. Um, we have to be talking across departments, across units, and say, how are we actually going to, to innovate um, and to change for the better? I think, you know, I'm watching this now. Um, we have just hired a new dean in the School of Ed. She comes from Texas A&M. She has a vastly different background. She wasn't raised at Baylor. She doesn't, um, she doesn't have a Baylor pedigree. She has a deep love of Baylor, and she loves this institution, but she's asking really hard questions. And she's mm -hmm. probing us to say, why do you do that way? Well, you know what? We don't yeah. know why we do it that way. So while it's challenging for me at times, because I think, well, that's just the way we've done it. Every time there's a question and I don't know the answer, I think, well, I better think about that. So I think those kinds of new perspectives that push us, and again, she's not trying to uproot anything that we've done. She's trying to ask questions about why we do the things we do, because she's been hired for a distinct goal, and that's to help the School of Education move uh, in the trajectory of an R1 uh, unit. And she's going to do that because she knows how to do it and she's going to be successful, but it's going to, she's, she's learning how we are all going to do that together. So I think that's a, that's a key component too, having different perspectives at the table, yeah. which is why we need to increase diversity in leadership across campus. And not only um, diversity in uh, ethnic and gender makeup, but also diversity in perspective too. I think all of that has yeah. to be at play. Yeah. So, so when you have a big dream, a big goal, the next initiative, um, and you run into being told no, what's your tactic? You know, I or, or to, to kind of <laughs> you get mad. <laughs> I do. Um, or, uh, even another angle of that, you ask a question and get told, don't ask that question. What, mm. what's that first response? Well, I mean, I'm going to be real honest with you. My first Please response do. is it is mad. I, I do. I get angry and I get upset. And I've learned a lot about myself in this last uh, season, particularly in COVID. And, and as university has changed and had to do things differently, like my initial reaction is sort of a, a defensive one. Yeah. Um, what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to slow that reaction from actually being one that people see and that I contain that. Um, and then moving into problem solving. And I think for me, those are two different questions. So when, when I get told no on something, I often ask why. I, I would like to, you know, tell, okay, so let's talk through that decision. Let's have a dialogue about it. Um, and let me help understand your rationale. And I can generally get on board with those no's if I know what they are. They, I may not always agree with them, but if I understand the rationale, I at least feel like it was a reasoned evidence-based decision, though I might, you know, not like it. The question about if I get, if I ask a question and don't, and I am told not to ask that question, then it just makes me more curious. Then I just want to know, why can't I ask that question? And that's, that's not been an unusual situation for me. It's again, where I think community and collective action matters because when multiple people start asking that same question, then people start listening. Hmm. I wonder why all those people are asking that question. Why don't we see more female full professors? Hmm. Let's, let's investigate that. What is so versus just one off person asking that? I think when we work together, then those questions actually um, become more legitimate. Not that they weren't, Ill, they, not that they were illegitimate to begin with, but the more voice you have behind them. Yeah. 
So I'm I'm hearing um, three C's over and over. I'm I'm hearing community, collective action, and commitment. And I I think you've spent a lot of time on community. Um, I I want to make sure that we're on the same page about collective action. Um, could you just define that? And you know, it doesn't have to be the academic version. What's what's Brooks' version of collective action? Yeah, I mean, I think my my version of collective action comes a lot from the work that I do with I Engage in the summer, where we we run this program for middle schoolers and teach them how to engage in civic advocacy. I think collective yeah. action is um, the work that we do together to advocate for a cause and to create change. I think it's um, it's working across and within to, to move the needle forward in whatever direction you're headed for. So um, again, we can't be siloed. I don't, I think little work gets done by individuals. I think we've sold that narrative. We've, we, we tell it in our history books. It's heroification yeah. at its finest, as if one single person, uh, as if Rosa's Park, Rosa Parks' single action is what started the Montgomery Bus boycott. We know that's not true, but she yeah. has been heroified. She's a fantastic sure Her action yeah. was mattered, but you know what? We dismiss it because we didn't know. You know what? She'd been trained as this. She was an NAACP yeah. secretary. She made a choice. This wasn't she was just tired on a bus. Yeah. She engaged in advocacy alongside her brothers and sisters. Yeah, it's Move it's the like the um, sticking with the civil rights. Uh, you're speaking my love language is going into that like 1960s civil rights era that, you know, dialing it down to Martin Luther King Jr. Um, isn't diminishing of his legacy. Um, but the thing that I see over and over is it does diminish the legacy of Ella Baker. It does diminish that legacy of Diane Nash. Um and of Bayard Rustin, right? Absolutely. We can't tell yeah. his story, yeah. right? Because it's sorted, you know. Yeah. And despite the fact that he was a intellectual architect of the movement, we don't we don't tell his story. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We're gonna. I'm gonna keep. <laughs> I'm gonna keep us from going off on that tangent. I love it. Um, okay. So and then then that that last piece. So so community collective action commitment. Um, mm-hmm. When. When you get that, you know, I mean, you said before we got on that, you know, it's just been a rough week. And, you know, I mean, first of all, I didn't say it then, but I I should have, and I'm sorry. Um, me too. It has been, I've already said kick-ass, so I'm not going to say the, the actual words that I want to use, but it's been a crap week. Yeah. What? And it's Wednesday. <laughs> it is Wednesday. Just Wednesday. Wednesday. You know yeah. what? But I was saying this on Monday. I was saying, this has been a crap week and it's only Monday. How do you get up on Thursday? Oh, man, that's such a good question. This is therapy. Did you know this is therapy for me right now? Um, first of all, thank you for identifying these three C's that brilliant. And I'm like shaking my head thinking, man, that is exactly where I would position myself. Did you did you catch your definition of leadership at the beginning too? Because it's like, it's the only I can barely hear what you're saying, because I'm still like, revolving in this definition of leadership. Leadership is care for your community. Like, oh, my God, boom, <laughs> that catch that but i believe that so thank you oh my you gosh for like that, that just back. that blew me away leadership is care for your community i i mean that is all encompassing and such a a necessary perspective to keep of leadership is not what you can accomplish leadership is not 
the vision you can cast. The leadership is just being there for your people that you are fortunate to be there for and with. And I just, so leadership is care for your community. And then the three C's of change, community, collective action, commitment, but don't dodge the question. Okay. How do you get up on Thursday? How do you keep going? You just got told no. You just had a bunch of crap meetings. You, you have to deal with COVID. I I mean, you know, how we've been doing this for seven months. How are you still getting up and going at it? I mean, I I think you said it. I think because there are people that I care about. And Mm -hmm. if I don't get up and I don't show up and I don't try to show up as my best self, not always do I show up, but I try to show up as my best self. Um, I don't ever want to disappoint them. I don't want to leave them um, without knowing that somebody's here to, to do this work alongside them. I think I work hard, but I don't work hard because, like you said, I'm looking for the next thing or I want to be the 40 under 40. Like, that's that's nice. I work hard because I work p- next to people who also work hard. And who I want to honor with the work I do and I want to empower with the work I do. And um, if I don't work hard, how can I expect anybody else to do that? If I'm not committed daily to showing up and doing my best, how can I expect anybody else to do that? I spend a lot of time thinking about purpose. Um, in my God always has a, a lovely sense of humor for me when I, when I have these weeks where I'm like, it's a crap week, like you said, like the devotional that I read every morning or, you know, whatever it's, it's, it It'll comes across. And, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's been reminding me of, of this notion of purpose. And I have a card that sits on my desk and last year at our faculty meeting, I, when we started the year, I tell this a rabbinic story. That's basically a, it, it's about purpose. And I said to my family, I want you to take this index card and I want you to write your why, because you're going to forget it, right? The semester is going to start. You're going to get engaged in all of these things and it's going to be overwhelming and you're going to get to the end of the day and you're going to think, I just don't know if I can do it again. And I want you to have that card, which is, I have it right here next to my thing. And I want you to pick it up and I want you to just read it. And I want you to remember that there's a reason you do this and it's not for the accolades and it's not, um, because you get paid to do this. There's a reason you do this and there's a purpose to your work. So don't forget it um, and remind yourself of that. So I think for me, this season has been one where I, I have had to focus in a lot on that because it's easy to forget in the midst of all the the junk that is there. Yeah. What is what is your purpose? Um, you know, and I read mine, I'll just read it to you what it said. This was a, this was a Please, year and yeah. a half ago. Oh my gosh. This is this is when I first became chair. Okay. Um, so I was appointed chair in June 20. I don't even know what year that would have been, 18, maybe. <laughs> uh, whatever. What year are we in? 2020? 2019, maybe. 1920, 2020. Yeah. June okay. 2019. Um, and this was the first faculty meeting we had at a school year. I invited everybody into it, told the story. And I said, you know, my why is to bring light into a dark world, to encourage, to uplift, to help grow others. Ultimately, this work is done so that through education we might change the world and make it a more humanizing environment. And I do. I believe it. I believe it every I, day. I'm going to I'm going to do a whole series on <laughs> on desk reminders because it is yeah. I I get so jazzed when someone is like, you know, I keep this thing actually and then they like grab it and they like bring back this little buckeye 
Like I keep a little Buckeye on my nightstand. I keep it on my desk at, at, at my, like my home office. I keep one. On, and, and it's that when I was a kid, um, I don't remember who said it, but somebody told me to be as tough as a Buckeye. And I have never forgotten that phrase. Um, and so I just keep these little, remi- so I'm going to do a series on what's, what's on your desk that reminds you of. That would be a great, that would be a great, a great series. I would love to listen to that. Everybody's got sure. a little secret thing. Like, yeah, like at, totally. uh, at, um, at my desk at the office, I have half of a quote taped, um, to the bottom of my monitor. And the whole quote is, um, uh, it's from this, this Greek story. Uh, and it's about this general who is like, up against it and i mean they're just going to get totally slaughtered when the enemy lands and the only way that he can save his troops um is if they um get it together and build ships to go out before the enemy gets there and um there's this the moral is um the general realizes that he can't teach the people to want to build ships. The secret is you have to teach the men to, and this is the quote that I keep on the the side of my, is to teach them to yearn for the vastness of the sea. It's not about the ships. It's not about the making. It's not about the work. It is about that, the horizon, the vastness of the sea. So I'm going to do a whole series on that. Yeah. And that's a great quote too. Yes. For sure. Okay. Okay. You want to do rapid fire questions really quick? Sure, sure. Okay, cool. And then rapid we'll, fire. Okay, so this we'll wrap be, this up. Be yeah. succinct, so, Brooke. Okay. So, so here, um, here's here's the thing. Don't think. Just what's okay. your what's your answer? You know, okay. what's your truth? Okay. When the pressure is building, when you feel your shoulders hunching forward, you know, for me, I clench my teeth. When you feel yourself reacting in that stress, in that anxiety. Um, when it's all like rushing through your mind, what's the first thing you do? Take a deep breath. Mm. Good. Okay. Number two, what is something people get wrong about you? Don't think, don't edit. That that I'm intimidating. Mm. Oh my gosh. Screw those people. (laughs) The exact opposite. Uh, They're scared of me. That's the right answer. Number three, um, what show are you into right now? What TV show? I just finished Shit's Creek. Oh my gosh! Okay, I haven't seen I haven't seen any of it. I I want to binge it over like Christmas. Um, We just watched Ted Lasso. Okay, Ted Lasso. Yeah. So if you're done with one, go to Ted Lasso. It will. It's the medicine you need in 2020. Okay. Okay. I also have to say I finished The Queen's Gambit too also amazing i haven't started it i haven't started it. um oh, good okay number four what's on your nightstand <laughs> a, a lamp and tv remotes that's good to and go. a and a devote and a and a book about home um decorating which i've like read one chapter design. of <laughs> one chapter of because i don't do that uh where would you be if you could be anywhere right now on a beach with a drink and a book mm. Number six, what's some advice someone gave you that you'll never forget? Always look at people as if they matter to God. Mm. Number seven, what's your favorite meal? 
Mexican, anything Mexican. Mm. What's the next brave thing you'll do? Figure out what is feasible for my work life. It's too busy. It's too full. And I have to learn where I can create margin. That's a brave. What can I say no to? That's brave. That's big time brave. What's the best joke, you know? <laughs> no jokes. Uh, oh my goodness. I This is a really rapid fire. What's the best joke I know? I'm trying to think of all these terrible jokes my children tell me or all the dad yes, jokes. Tell us, I, like, tell I, us what I, I don't even tell know that I have things. one right now. Let me think about. <laughs> um, I don't even know. Now I can't even think of it. I'm trying to think. My daughter came in and told me one the other day, and I actually knew it because one of my other children had told me it, but now I don't remember what it is. So, so you can just, yeah, I don't have an answer to that one. Mm. Best joke I know. Okay. You've got to go find one then. You always got to have a good joke. Are, yeah, you an introvert? That, Are you an introvert or an extrovert? This isn't the next I, question. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I'm an introvert. Okay. Introvert to introvert. Always have a joke on hand. Okay. Because, you know, that small talk, those awkward quiets, like those kind of things, they just dissolve with a joke. Okay. I need a good joke. You need a good yeah, joke. I'll, I'll work on that. Okay. Uh, no, last one. Number 10. What are you deeply grateful for right now? That, oh. that question is going to make me cry. Um, God, there's so much, but I would say right now in this season, um, I have several really good friends and one in particular, who's been my friend for, uh, like 15 years. We don't live in the wow. same city, um, but she's my soul sister. And every morning we do a devotional together. So it's digital. We read the same thing every morning and we respond. And I know every morning when I wake up, she's waiting for my response and I'm waiting for hers. And it mm. is some mornings it's what gets me up because I know somebody else is waiting for me to get my act together and to move forward. And, um, I'm just, I'm grateful for that, that it's lasted this long and that it's still like hugely powerful in my life. That is absolutely amazing. And that's such a great way to wrap up a conversation on the importance of community, collective action and commitment. Well, thanks for making me cry. This was a great conversation. Like the best conversation I've had all week and I can imagine having in the next week. So thank you for, for inspiring me too. No, thank you. Thanks for <laughs> that was great. Up. That was awesome. This has been fantastic. Oh my gosh. I've learned so, so much. Well, I've learned a ton just by the questions you've asked me. Like, I don't know. I don't have a good joke. Maybe these three C's are my life's motto. Thanks. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. That's my interview with Dr. Brooke Blevins. And if you can't tell, I truly, truly enjoyed that conversation. Um, I don't know which one of us was closer to tears throughout it. Um, 
but I hope you did too. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks so much for listening all the way to the end. If you're interested in the resources we mentioned, the initiatives, um, or how to follow Dr. Blevins, you can find lots of links in the show notes. This has been and is uh, still continues to be one of my absolute favorite things to do at Baylor Line Foundation, uh, in case you can't tell. And I cannot wait to be with you next time right here on Direct Line. Click the follow button to make sure that you get each show in your feed wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, if you haven't reviewed our podcast yet, and if you haven't noticed, I ask at the end of every episode, because uh, it's, it's truly, truly important. Could you actually go do that right now? You're our very best source for new listeners, and we'd love to hear your thoughts. You can post a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast shows. We're eager to hear from you, and we do read every single review, good, bad, or indifferent. Your reviews help us make this podcast better and remain your voice in the Baylor family. Our show is produced by the Baylor Line Foundation. Our audio producer is Michael Echterling with production support by Courtney Faulkner. Research is by Rachel Cooper. Our director of marketing is Kaylee Davis with additional support from Sophia Alejandro. Special thanks to Tony Peterson, Bob Darden, and El Jefe, Alan Holt. I'm Jonathan Platt. <laughs>